Hello, my friend, and welcome back or to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashpitz, and today's guest is Ellie Leibowitz, and Ellie is a Jewish comedian and the co-creator of Jake Sketch Comedy. And in this conversation, we talk about the creative process, becoming a full-time comedian, being an entrepreneur, and the ability to always get back up. I really appreciated this conversation with Ellie, and I hope that you do as well. In other news, this conversation is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company, and I use their products every single day. So go ahead and click the link in the show notes below, scroll through all of their products, and see which ones might work best for you and your wellness needs. Then, once you get to checkout, use code EVERYBODY for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 231 of Something for Everybody with Ellie Leibowitz. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashbitz. Ellie, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Before we get into uh, some of the more important stuff we're going to talk about, uh, I have an important question to ask you, and that is, how are you doing? Like, actually, how are you doing? Ooh. You mean that in the real way, not in the uh, fluffy, I, I don't mean it way, just so uh, in a conversation. Um, doing pretty well. Uh, my wife and I were blessed to have a, uh, a third child about three weeks ago, a uh, baby girl, um, named Sarit Amuna, um, kind of sort of named after both our grandmothers and name Amuna means like uh, faith in Hebrew. So, um, I'm doing pretty well considering, uh, sleep de- a little bit sleep deprived, but I-, I tell people I'm operating at 30% battery. Um, but Doing doing pretty well considering, um, and I have two other kids. So, but uh, staying busy and uh, yeah and yeah. How has uh, being a father shaped you as a human being? Um, well, I think it's definitely. I mean, as much as I like lose my patience, it's made me more patient because it has to. Um, I think that God or the the world made it that to be a parent really is supposed to humble you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, Cause I'm thinking like myself, like if you're, even if you're like a top notch CEO and you're like, you know, hiring and firing people all day and then you're like daughter, like poops on your hand. <laughs> um, it's a really, uh, one of, it's, it's a really humbling experience. Um, and I think that's the point, you know, that like, you know, there's a, uh, I think a Jewish adage somewhere I don't know if it's a t- the Talmudic thing, but it says like if everyone should have in their pocket one line, one line, they should have two lines in their pocket, one line and one in the left pocket should say the world was created for me. And the other pocket it should say I am nothing but dust and ashes. And I feel like the parenting version of that should be in one pocket. It says I make six figures a year. In the other pocket, it says my daughter pooped in the tub. So, <laughs> you know, just a, a balance of like, hey, you have your roles. Like I, you're in uh, parent mode and you're in you're in um, whatever your professional mode is or, or whatever your non-parent mode is. But have, everybody has wears different hats. And I think parenting really makes you do that. Um, because it's, it's shaped me uh, because it's just a level of like uh, talking, I, I, you know, I... I I'm a comedian. I speak to audiences all the time, but like speaking to an audience 
of a six-year-old, three-year-old and a three-week-old, you know, really you have to change the way you speak based on your audience. And I'm still learning that, but um, it's definitely rewarding. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm getting married in September. And so Congrats. I imagine soon after that, we'll, God willing, we'll have a baby. And uh, I can't <clears> wait <throat> to like think about all the things my buddies have told me about their kids and what you're telling me and like how I'll relate it all and still not know what the fuck I'm doing, <laughs> you know, and uh, can't wait to get poop on my hand and throw up on my shirt and all these good things that happened that I <laughs> did to myself <laughs> as a young person, uh, maybe more recently than I should admit, but that's all right. Yeah, well, I'm here to, uh, you know, to vent so as, as that either through the wedding process or, or afterwards. I mean, there's an idea in like uh, Orthodox Judaism, they call it with the first year of marriage called the Shana Rishona, which would be like for literally first year. And there's like, a, you know, really growing pains of like, you know, you're living with a person for the first time in a, in a different way. Um, and I, I, I actually, we moved into, a, we bought a house last year and we moved in in June and I was like, oh, this is the same thing as like getting married again, the first year of a house. Like, it's like, this is very expensive. And I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So it's very similar. Yeah. How, you know, since October 7th, a lot of things have changed, mm -hmm. especially for, for Jews living in America. I think we, we've come to a very uh, stark realization that we could sort of, you know, just for sort of the everyday Jew, like not the ones that maybe visited often or things like that, or were sort of in the trenches with people that they know there, but just for your everyday Jews, like come to this realization that uh, there's much more anti-Semitism and it's much more real uh, and visceral than maybe ever been realized before. And I, and I say that to sort of preface the question of um, what are you doing with your children? I know, you know, one of them six years old, so maybe you're speaking to it about her uh, or that conversation, but how are you feeling about raising your children in this environment? Are, are you worried? Um, how are you addressing some of those things? So, yeah, it's a good, good, good thought. I mean, I, the truth is, I mean, I'm an Orthodox Jew personally myself, so there is, you know, every Passover Seder, you know, you read the line and the song, there's a song, it was like a paragraph called the Hisha Amda, and it's like, a, there's a, a good song actually by Yaakov Shweki about it that a lot of people sing. And in that, in that paragraph, there's a line that says, the whole Dorvador which means that in every generation, I mean, I'm making this super Jewish just to, just to but I'm, I'm, I'm going to explain the effort. So, but in every generation, they've tried to wipe us out, but we're still here. That's essentially what it says. So, you know, and the old adage of every everybody, you know, Jewish holidays are, they try to kill us, we survived, let's eat. Um, and that's really true. I mean, I, I think as in, it grounds me as an Orthodox Jew that I'm like, I have a, have a faith in a system, in a, in a God that... Um, this isn't the first time that the Jews have been persecuted, won't be the last. And it's, it's a bit of a, our identity. And it's a bit tricky because part of me kind of does believe that this sounds weird, but God sort of has a hand in making anti-Semitism a reality throughout the years or because otherwise the Jewish people would be swallowed up by, mm -hmm. um, you know, other factors that the fact that we, as much as Jews have tried to quote unquote blend in and the society will say no, like, and you know, it's true because I, I was in one of your previous episodes and there's like this, you know, 
per weird thing about anti-Semitism that doesn't make any sense that anything that you don't like, people blame Jews for. So it's like, oh, they're we're, they're communists, but they're also capitalists. They try to blend in. They try to, you know, stand out. And it's 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 so illogical. It's so illogical, and it doesn't make sense. And again, you would take a sample size poll, and you would think you would ask people how how much are Jews in the world? How many Jews are in the world? Based on like stats, and I'm uh, sorry, based on like how public and how much in the limelight Jews are, or how much Israel is talked about, you would think it's like the size of like Indonesia or like, you know, 200 million people, but you wouldn't understand that there's like 15 to 16 million Jews total. There's like 8 million or 7 million, I think, or something in Israel. And that's it. Um, because it's just, if, if it's Jews, it's news. And that's really the reality. So in terms of, I haven't really exactly, you know, had those conversations with my kids yet about, you know, thankfully they're still innocent enough that they don't have to know how bad the world is, um, especially for Jewish people. Um, and, I, and I get that. And I'm sure some people can hear this and say like, oh, look at you, classic, like white guy in America, you know, third generation American, you have it pretty good. And like, yes, we owe a ton to America for what America has been able to do for the Jewish people as being a a land of religious freedom up until like right now. Um, I, I, well, I, I say that tongue in cheek, but like, but, but actually like, you know, being, you know, people just say the word Zionist and it's like automatically like, you know, they, they replace the word, you know, anything they say about Jews and just use the word Zionism. And that's like, that's okay. That's like, okay enough apparently so i haven't but i haven't broached this like conversation with my kids but like i think it's it's a grounding in a faith that like there i believe in a god that does protect the jewish people overall as much as there's been persecution against jewish people but it is really our um you know there is a morality to judaism and whether or not you have your outliers of people that are happen to be jewish I say that, that, that there's something you don't like. There's a Jew for that, unfortunately. You know, there's Jeffrey Epstein, there's Bernie Madoff, there's random pockets of archetypes that you can be like, oh, classic Jews, this, like this person who's not a good example of Jews. But I think Judaism in general believes in a very strong morality of the world. Um, and I don't think that's really what's um, advertised in the world, unfortunately. Um, when it comes to Israel, Israel is a, Israel is a perfect example of the fact that people don't really understand what happened, what's happening in Israel. And I say understand because they're kind of just jumping on the, I'm called left wing. I hate to say that, but like, it's just like, you know, all these, uh, talking, talking points in that were just like automatically, they just check this box. Like, okay, you know, gay marriage going green and I'm going to be anti-Israel for some reason. It was like go together, which it doesn't make a lot of sense. But they kind of, uh, it's just funny that people don't really understand that anti-Semitism is this thing that Jews have experienced for years. And suddenly they think that there's a country that's the Jewish state and people are like, hmm, this isn't about Judaism. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. What you first were initially saying made me think about like why, why bad things happen. Um. And people always ask that when it comes to religion. Well, if there's a God, if there's all of these things, why do um, you know bad things happen to good people? Well, we're seeing 
Why? Because now there's a large sense of unity. There's so much Jewish pride. There's people singing and dancing. They're coming together. Like people who have never been to synagogue ever in their life, except when their parents made them when they were 12, are now coming back to synagogue. I'm not saying it it undoes the 1,500 people that were absolutely massacred, but there has to be some light in all of the darkness. And that's why there always is the darkness, so we can see that light. We can come together. We can you know, believe in ourselves. We can have this faith that, that basically we can come, we can get through everything, anything, right? The Holocaust showed us that currently what we're dealing with showed us that. So there has to be those things. And I think if you're someone who doesn't believe in something, then you're going to have a tougher time getting through those hard times because they're going to happen no matter what in your life. Someone you love is going to die. There might be a car accident. Your kid's going to come home from school crying. Like all of these things are going to happen. And if there's a faith that you can believe in, that's rooted in reality and a good sense of morality. And Judaism is based in action, which is why I really like it a lot. Like it's based on how you act, not what you think about. Like, yeah, I think about being a good person. Nobody cares. How do you act in the world? Like that's, that's what matters. Uh, and so, I mean, th those thoughts just came up for me uh, as you were talking. And so I think that's important to note as if someone's thinking about, you know, going through a hard time or seeing all this horribleness on both sides. Like so many people are dying. Obviously there's no like heartlessness for the innocent civilians, but that's what happens when, you know, people go and murder a bunch of people like in innocent civilians are going to die based on what war is like. It's happened in every single war since the beginning of humanity. Like, uh, right. so just it, look at those stats and you can see what might happen. It's also, I, I mean, a couple of things just, you know, I think the issue with one of the big issues with the world right now is, and I was also thinking about this. I mean, I think a lot of people in the Orthodox Jewish world will say like, there aren't um, rabbinic, huge rabbinic leaders right now. And that's like a big concept that like when a great rabbi dies, it's like they called it, they would, they would say, refer to a rabbi as the Gadol Hador, as in like the greatest rabbi of that generation. And when a person dies, like who, who is left to be whatever. And there's like a real, absence like i think one, one of the more recent passings is rabbi jonathan Sachs, um who of less memory who passed away in, i think 2020 or 2021 and like he was such a good representation of judaism in terms of his eloquence his just ability to be like a thinking person and be able to like on the world stage and like just defend judaism in, a, in its way but i think the world at whole is so lost and they don't know what to believe in. And that's why people grasp at causes, they grasp at social justice, social justice. But the problem is with that is that if your moral compass is so arbitrary and you see it, you see people saying, hey, women are important, women should be believed, right? What about Israeli women that were you know, brutalized and raped and, and all that? Or what about you know uh, kids that are kidnapped currently that they're they're currently in in as hostages like there is a level of um moral ambiguity that that all of a sudden can can shift if you're like okay this is the thing but only about let's say the oppressed the oppressed or or the versus the oppressor instead of i think judaism very much grounds itself in humanity humanity like you know, and, and the, the hardest thing is when people try also, I mean, I also have a hard time when people, so there, there's like really um, fringe groups of, of Jews sometimes trying to use Judaism to say that Israel is in the wrong here when this is very much an act of self-defense, this war of self-defense that, but like, 
I literally will say, you know, some people say, this is not, I'm a rabbi and this is not what we do, what Judaism does. And I was like, pretty sure the founding rabbis of Maimonides and the people who wrote codes of Jewish law from previous, many centuries ago said that the most important, you know, commandments and are redeeming captives and saving people's lives. Those are the number, no, most important two, two mitzvot of all, of all, everything else takes a backseat if if you know it's eating kosher sabbath all that everything else these are two most important things so and i think there's just like uh there's a a a lack of people don't know where to turn so they find causes to go to but if there's a rot at the heads of these causes sometimes then it they don't know what to do and it's it's a really big big challenge that's why like i don't believe in people per se i believe in a higher power that made you know has a rule book essentially um and the one one thing i'll say about the um we said like you know cause and effect of like you know having to go through bad to see the good i think one of the best movies that helped me understand the concept of like that god doesn't exist in time or we don't is the movie interstellar a christopher nolan movie i don't know if you've seen it but like to me it was amazing because it's like this like out of time concept where you know um like you said it you know 15 uh, this massacre 1200 people but like look what happened to the jewish world together or just the fact that like israel has really taken out a huge portion of hamas's infrastructure and hopefully that will save the next generation of palestinians from being brainwashed into hating jews and into like getting their money siphoned into terror tunnels from the UN and, you know, from people donating to Gaza and thinking it's going to school or something and whatever. So like there is a, uh, quote unquote silver lining, hopefully light at the end of the tunnel that we can't see that hopefully, you know, in due time there, you know, can't say this, this has happened because of this, but like it, it definitely there's a point there like you had. Yeah. Yeah. It's very important to think about that stuff. Um, Cause like when you're, when you're deep in the trenches, you know, like at least the people in Israel are the families who still have their hostages or their, their family hasn't been brought home. Like they're still deep in it, but we, as the people on the outside can take a little broader view and maybe see where this could end up. They're just saying, I, I just want my fucking family home. Like, please, can we do anything about it? Like, and we should, obviously <laughs> that's number one priority. Um, and so those things are all, all important, but I wanted to just touch on that a little bit. Sure. Uh, I couldn't have you on and, and not, not talk. Uh, about so, that sorry for, uh, if we, if we, uh, digress too much into it, but obviously it's at the forefront of, uh, many Jewish people's minds over the last several months. No, it's, it's important. It's, it's important to keep the conversation going. I've done a few on this podcast and so having a different perspective is always, always important. Th- thanks same, for doing that also. Thank you for doing that too. That's really important to do that with a public yeah. you know, platform. Yeah, yeah, I do my best. I do my best. But um, in all of my podcasting skills, let's take a nice hard left here <laughs> and uh, and talk about that you went full-time into comedy. Now you're in two years, two years deep, full-time as a comedian? Yeah, in my second year as a full-time comedian. I started doing comedy full-time in 2023. So what made you uh, make that leap? Because I, I did that as a professional wrestler a long time ago. But So I, I'm a similar idea. But yeah, talk to me about that. Well, uh, as I tell people, I don't have other skills, uh, <laughs> which 
Um, no, I, I mean, the truth is, so the truth is I was, do, I, I didn't do it zero to 60, which is also a very big difference. It's very nerve wracking to, if you do do that, to go. And I think that, I don't think that's the best area to do it. I think you should inch into things a little bit and then eventually, you know, you make it, make a road. But I was doing comedy. I started doing it when I was in college at Yeshiva University. It started in 2008 it was the first time I ever was on stage. And then um, I would do these these things called bringer shows at at um, at comedy clubs where you bring people and get like a few minutes of stage time. Um, and and then I started doing it more for like primarily Jewish audiences is where I found my my niche and what I can kind of specialize at being able to be clean and relatable for you know uh, Jewish crowds. Um, and because there's a lot of like uh, events space based on, you know, synagogue involvement and, you know, Saturday night events and, you know, sisterhoods and stuff like that they have. Um, but yeah, so I, I very much uh, was working these day jobs. I was working at a nonprofit. I was working at um, you know, in a retail business. A start, I, after I was I worked at a retail for like five years as like a on the phone customer service type of thing. But I was able to like do a master's in marketing. And while I was like, you know, it was pretty much done very much nine to six job where you're like okay you're, afterwards you're 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 done you don't have to like take work home with you but after that i was kind of burnt out and then i worked at a startup for a, lot, a couple of years and but i was still doing comedy on the side and I, you know it was one of these things that you're constantly looking for what am i what's the passion that i have like, you know what are the things what's the job i want to do like and you know there was things I considered at one point a teaching, one was advertising, copywriting. Um, but at a certain point, I just was like, you know what, let me, I've, I've got a good track record of, uh, you know, I was probably doing 50 something shows a year at least. And I did a bunch during Zoom over, co uh, over Zoom during COVID. And I was like, okay, let me try to see what's going to happen. I mean, my, my, my startup job was like ending anyway at the end of December. And it was just like, okay, let me make this decision. And like, you know, it was tr challenging because it's like, okay, are you going to find something that you're going to be as passionate about? But also eventually you have to have, I don't want to say hundred percent focus on something, but like if you half-ass two things, you're just going to kind of do both badly. Um, so with that in mind, you know, I was like, okay, January, or, you know, as of December, I'm like, I'm going to do comedy full time. So I really like hustled and like, you know, was able to grow my, I posted on LinkedIn all my like accomplishments from the year, but I have like 2023, I got like 105 gigs. Um, I made two and a half times that I did from comedy each of the previous years. And I was able to, you know, grow my Instagram page from like, I don't know, 1,500 to 1,700 to like almost 8,000 know, followers. So like, and I, again, this is through conscious efforts of trying to make um, efforts to, I'm like, okay, this is my job. You know, Jerry Seinfeld has a thing where he says, one time saw he's like construction workers like eating lunch at like a site. And then they eventually finish their lunch and they pack up and they go back to work. And he's like, oh my God, I have to do that for a job. Like I have to... Um, so I very much try to every day if I can, I mean, granted the last three weeks while I'm on 30% battery, it's a tough, it's a tough thing, but I very much do try to say, let me do something that's productive toward my, um, comedic profession, whether that's 
being on a podcast, writing a couple jokes, um, emailing people about potential gigs, um, posting a new clip of stand-up, or I've done. I've also been a part of. Uh, we've created a sketch, almost like a sketch troupe. Um, we only do videos. Uh, you know, we did about 10, 10 videos in like ten months, which is pretty amazing. So, if there's something that I'm doing professionally that's like growing my comedic profile um, out there, then you know, it's it's uh, it's it's worth it. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. What um, what drove you to get on stage for the first time in 2008? Because that's no, that's no easy thing. Was uh, it a bet? There, was, did something at, happen, or you just popped school, up there? They were doing a fundraiser for uh, like a camp for people with special needs, and they were saying like making like a talent show or like whatever a stand up open mic type of thing. And I was like, all right, let me let me try this. I've, I've, I've always had like a, a sense of humor and I've always liked stand up. I like, I'm a big fan of the Simpsons and Seinfeld, um, Seinfeld, the stand up and the show. And it was just like a matter of like, okay, like the biggest thing is like, if you can get away of the, get rid of the fear and then, uh, then you can do it. Um, I mean, I also, one of my first jobs was a, I was a vendor, uh, seat vendor at Cubs games in Chicago at Wrigley field. So I was able to, mm. I did that since I was like 16 to like seven years or so. So like, you know, so that also is very much like you make your own thing and you got to figure out like, how do you stand out? If you're selling peanuts and the other guy's selling peanuts, how are you going to stand out? So we do this like Will Ferrell, Harry Carey impression. I don't know if you know it, but, but I, I would, I would literally, and I even, at one point I got the glasses, like the big glasses. I'd be like, Hey, who wants to get crazy? Come on. Hey, you were a hot dog and you were starving. Would you eat yourself? And like in Chicago, like, again, some people are listening to this and like, what is wrong with that guy? But you, t- I, I would say go to YouTube, <laughs> look up Will Ferrell, uh, Harry Carey, and the people in Chicago, it was great. I mean, the biggest, the saddest thing is I didn't get to sell beer because I wasn't like 21 for most of it. And it's like a very coveted item. And also I didn't get to be there for when the Cubs won the World Series. But um, mm. that would have been amazing. But I was, people were like, would give me money without even buying, which made me feel a little dirty, but it was, no, it was a nice little like, but it was, it was, it was great. I got to see really, and again, this is, I started doing it in 2015 when I was 16. Yeah. In the year 2015, I would start doing it. And then, um, I did it. I mean, I guess I was doing, I guess I was doing stand up before that. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 2015. I'm, my, this is, this is dead brain. 2005. This is okay. Sorry, I'm not that old. Two thousand. I'm not that young. Two thousand five was the first year I did it. Not, not that makes sense. Okay, so I was doing it for a few years, and then, um, and then I like realized like you know people like you know an usher said to me like hey like like my shtick my hereditary shtick and he's like hey there's a guy who's like terminally ill, and uh, can you go over there and do your shtick? He can't even talk anymore. Like, can you like do your stick in front of him? I think he'll mm. like it. And like, I did it. And then like, I talked to the usher like a few weeks later. Like, yeah, that guy passed away. So I, um, yeah, I, uh, you, I, I, what I, I, I guess I noticed. And again, this is a very round of. I, if you notice, I have a very Jewish way of answering. I just answer. I just kind of talk, and uh, <laughs> not anything on my mind. But uh, I just, I, I realized. Um, the, the power you can make by making someone laugh. And it's just a, it's a, uh, 
there's a there's a Jewish proverb or Jewish like you know in ethics of the fathers, which is a really good guide to life in a lot of a lot of uh, moral moral ways. One of the things is like perceive everyone with a smile is one of the one of the adages, you know, which is just like a way of saying like you can make such a difference by just like you know being nice costs nothing is is what I've heard people say, and so you just realize that what what a difference you make. But like again, the reason I I probably do it deep down, and this is the psych major in me is that I probably didn't get enough like validation as a kid. And then I said, probably, I mean, I didn't, but, uh, I like, you know, my dad's very like, you know, very much like, like, um, non most expressive. Um, and I have an older brother that's very similar in, in that way or whatever. It, and it's like hard. So it's like building your own identity. So it's like, yeah, my currency is uh, Facebook likes and, and Instagram likes from strangers and laughs. And, and it's also like with standup, you at least mm-hmm. it's easier. It's easier in a way than it's easier in the sense that the metric is very clear. Unless you're talking to a really older audience or um, sometimes a really stubborn Jewish audience, you can usually gauge if this is going well based on laughter. And I don't know how like musicians, Unless people are walking out, you don't really know. Is like, are you guys enjoying this? Like, I don't know. Is this and uh, right. so at least there's an immediate. Okay, this is good. This is not good. This is good. This is not good. This is good. And it, and it so there's a there's a way to track it really well. And uh, like I said, if, if there wasn't if there wasn't the um this the public speaking aspect, which again you can get over. That's something that like you could train to do. And I'm like, yeah, but I would a little, people would always ask me, what do you do if a joke bombs or you bomb like on stage? And like, thankfully at this point I have enough, uh, my, my, uh, win to loss ratio is, is much higher is in the, probably in the 90, 98, 95 to 98% at this point, hopefully. Um, but everybody bombs and you kind of have to, you kind of, kind of have to really tell yourself, and I know you, I was in one of your episodes about like a plan, like what your plan is, and, you know, if your goals are, uh, I forgot the, you said instead of goals, you said targets, right? Targets. So it's a matter of, you know, you have a, have, have your jokes and you're like, you know, you're doing a science experiment, like a lot of, you're not going to try out a bunch of new stuff all at once unless you're you know starting out, but eventually you're like, okay, I have my material and then I'll weave in some new jokes, but like you really ask, what's the worst that's going to happen here? What's the worst that could happen? Okay, mm-hmm. a bunch of people who don't really laugh didn't laugh, or you know, and uh, you you know, okay, I was up there for twenty minutes. I was up there for an hour. It was a really bad hour of my life. I've had I've had those where a real self reflective hour. You're like, I should not do this anymore. Which is funny because I had a really bad, terrible show like two weeks before, like the end of the middle of December of twenty twenty two. It was like one of those like, oh man, like I, I should I should take the LSAT, you know? <laughs> like I should I should I should do accounting, like you know, just one of those. Uh, but like again, you have enough of a you gotta the same thing when any adversity happens in your life, you know, you shake it off as hard as that is. That was a really tough day and a tough weekend of like couldn't sleep. That's how bad it went. Like it was just a really, and it was just just the way I was treated was, was poorly. But, but you, the hardest thing is is brush brush yourself off and get up again. And you know, just to tie to full circle a little bit back to what we were saying. Like, I think that's 
one of the strongest things that Judaism encourages is it's, I think I was listening to one of your parenting things, one of your parenting episodes or or the coaching thing, you were talking about coaching and like one of the, I'm just applying it to parenting, but it's like, you tell your kid, I love, I love when you play. And it's like, you're talking about effort and Judaism Mm -hmm. as a whole, very much, I would, Judaism encourages effort. There's an expression called Lufum Tsara Agra, which is like Aramaic for, you know, pretty much no pain, no gain. And like for the effort, you get the reward. And it's not about, it's not about the, the results. You just put in your time, put in the work and, you know, have some faith and, and, and do your thing. And, but you get up again, even if, even if there's, even if it feels like there's no reason to get up again, you get up and you, and yeah. you do it. Yeah, I tell my athletes that they have to make a a pre-commitment. So you're even before the thing happens, you're if you're going to chase something, you're making a pre-commitment that you're not going to give up because you have you can't have the expectation that it's going to be easy. Like no one who's done anything great has has ever been easy. Like most people don't talk about it all the time because it's like, yeah, I just like did the thing. Like that's what I wanted to do, so I got up and did it. So if you make a pre-commitment, knowing that the obstacles are going to come into your way, and you get knocked down, or you have a bad baseball game, or a bad stand-up set, or a bad professional wrestling match, you're like, okay, yeah, that sucks. I don't feel very good, but I already made the pre-commitment before the thing even happened because I knew it was going to, and now I'm ready to get back up and go. And so. Yeah, I, I, I've had those those moments as a baseball player and as a professional wrestler where it's just like, holy cow, do I like, do I even know what I'm doing at all? Um, <laughs> and the funniest part about that is that sometimes after I had a really bad game in college, my dad would ask me, uh, he'd be like, "Hey, Aaron." Like, do you need to go to the eye doctor? Like, something wrong with your eyes? You can't see the baseball? Like, what? Well, <laughs> uh, that feels like that feels like the most Jewish, and, uh, uh, Jewish best because uh, <laughs> my dad was hilarious. Like, the first time he did it, I was like, like, like really upset because the whole day leading up to that was like a mess. I was a freshman. I missed the bus from the hotel to the to the <laughs> to the uh, to the field. So I was with two other seniors. So they had their mom come pick us up. They drove us to the field. I was supposed to start that day, and then when I got to the field and the bus finally got there, my coach was like, yeah, you're definitely not starting, and you can't get any of your gear off of the bus, so you have to just wear your jersey and pants with nothing underneath, and you don't get socks. Like, Just go and sit on the bench and like have some fun. Uh, and then we were down like 13 runs in the last inning. And he says, Aaron, yeah, you can go have an at-bat. Like, <laughs> It doesn't matter at this point. And so he's like, okay. He brings me over. He's like, hey, this guy's going to throw a first pitch fastball. Just like be ready to swing. I'm like, all right, right. I'm a freshman. Here we go. I just watched that ball go by. Okay, cool. He brings me over. To, he's at third base. He comes come over here. <laughs> he's like, pitcher's going to throw the exact same pitch, Aaron. Be ready to swing. Okay, get back in the box. Don't look. I look at that one again. I'm like, oh, shit, why didn't I swing at that pitch? And then he throws a third pitch slider in the dirt, like doesn't even come close to the plate. I swing, strike out, go back to the <laughs> dugout, and the game is over. And then after that game, that was the first time my dad told me, like, are you sure you don't need to go see the doctor? <laughs> and so in that moment, I was like pretty upset about the whole thing. But then as he started to keep doing it, it was like a nice light brevity after after a tough game. Like I knew he was going to. I knew he cared. I knew he was going to be there. And 
but the first time was like, oh god, that doesn't. Yeah, and there's that's the that's I think that I mean that is really the the secret a little bit I would say secret to life, which sounds like I'm 35 years old. I'm going to tell you the secret of life, but like um, to but like that is the thing. It's it's these moments of inspiration. You have moments where you're inspired, or you're feeling like I can do anything. And there are moments you feel terrible and you can't do it. And if almost like living in LA, that if you had nice weather all the time, you wouldn't appreciate it. <laughs> I think so. Why, you know, it's why you, I want to say, I want say why do bad things happen to good people in the same way, but like the, if you didn't have bad days, you wouldn't appreciate the good days and, and vice versa. Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, there's a, there's a big, uh, you know, Jewish movement to uh, learn a page of the Talmud every single day. It's called Daf Yomi. And it's literally a seven and a half year thing. It's seven and a half years it takes to complete. And every, you know, in 2020, they had a big thing at MetLife Stadium. Um, they had a big, like 90,000 people there sold out who, who either finished it themselves or just there to whatever. Seven and a half years of one page at a time. And somebody, as there's like a expression that's, uh, that, that they, when, you know, these classes they teach about it, they say, uh, it's not about the daf, it's not about the pages, it's about the yomi, it's about the everyday. Get up and do it again. Get up and do it. And um, Judaism believes in that in terms of like just um, habits. Create good habits. Get every day. Okay, here's the thing. Here's it. says, all right, pray. Pray, wake up in the morning, say thank you to God for being alive. So really that says like Modaani, thank you to be, being alive. You know, pray to God, recognize that you're such a small part in this entire cog. Don't get too full of yourself, but also you have a role to do and there are things that, you know, be have gratitude, have gratitude. And I think also, again, that as much as, you know, Judea, Jews have their own neuroses, I think having the gratitude for life and almost like it's why also Jews can handle jokes. I mean, in, in addition to like it's a great defense mechanism, but like Jews are like, oh man, they're saying this about us. Well, at least they're not killing us. Like, and I would say the black community too, because again, Jew, Jewish people and black people have been you know notoriously oppressed. You know, have the best have really good senses of humor because they're like they've been through stuff. They've been through real stuff, and it's like, all right, that's not fine. They're making a joke. Okay. I'm not going to get that offended. The people that get the most offended, your ultra woke people are people that have like had it super easy their whole lives and who are just like getting offended on behalf of other people who are like, you haven't like, you know, just, yeah, that's whatever. Um, but I, I, I think the, like you said, the, uh, the, I think the getting up, dust yourself off even after a bad game is like, is really important. You have to. And and those moments show you if you really want the thing that you want. Like say that you're starting off on your full time and you have one bad gig and you're like, eh, I, I, I don't want to feel that anymore. So I'm good. This is not for me. Great. It's not for you then. But if you're like, it shows you that you really care about the thing. It's like being able to grieve after something that you lost. Like you, you loved that thing and now it's gone. Great. I really did care about it. Okay. I had a really tough day. Yes, this sucks, but I really want this thing and nothing's going to stop me and loving what I do is really my competitive advantage because I'm going to do 
I, I relate it to this podcast all the time. I'm going to do 7,000 million episodes, as many as I can keep doing. And whoever listens, listens. But most people stop at episode 20. And they're like, why am I not Joe Rogan yet? I'm like, because you did 20 episodes. He did 2,000. There's like a little bit of a difference there. I think, well, I think Jay Leno <laughs> so, says that because a lot of people don't really realize Jay Leno is still and has always been a working comedian. Um, they only know, um, they really only know him from The Tonight Show and that's it. So they don't, they, but like Jay Leno, when he like got to Hollywood, you know, he was like, all right, I don't know if I'm funnier than X person, but I know I can work harder than them. And like anyone who is just, who is successful, anyone you see on a sitcom, any, um, Ray Romano, Kevin James, Seinfeld, Bernie Mac, anyone you see on that had a show, you don't see that you don't really realize they probably were doing stand up for like 15 years at least or something like that and you see the results and we're very much especially you know a, a younger generation was just very like instant gratification what do you mean they have it whatever like um and it, it's, it's something that i've really translated also to like you know a lot of times i have to um reach out to places for gigs potentially but i try to do it pretty um intelligently where i don't cold email i kind of try to find a point of contact that I know, but if, an, if like a synagogue, let's say has an annual dinner and they're like, Oh, this year we're not doing comedy. I'm like, okay, like next year there's a possibility and my name's in the ring. And like, there were so many gigs that I've gotten that were just like, or I gave my card to someone and like five years later they found it or like a few years later. And it's mm. pretty, pretty crazy that it's a little bit of a, it's a patience. Um, I think, I think is this Pete Holmes or Pete Holmes, maybe quoting Conan or something like that saying, um, a guy who also didn't quit doing podcasts, um, um, saying like, you know, just ring your bell and keep doing your thing. And eventually people will just, you know, notice what you're doing. If you keep, keep at it, you keep really doing your thing. That's, um, yeah, giving up, giving up is uh is what the i would call it in the judaism is your yetzahara which is your evil inclination you know the devil on your shoulder being like you, you suck you suck you suck you suck you suck and and the, the, i think one of the um one of the best comedy books i, I read was called this guide to stand up step-by-step guide to stand up comedy by like this guy named greg bean um i think anthony jeselnik mentioned it once and he says like when you're writing just like right, you have, two, you have two parts of your brain. You have the left brain and the right brain. I forget which one's which. One's the creative and one's the um, the logical, whatever. So it's like let when you're in your writing mode, just write, and then later let your let your editor be like, no, that sucks, or that oh that's too much, that's not funny, or just like similar like free writing. Just go. Don't put a put a blocker, and it just go, and then. Once you are like, it's literally like another person, like the same thing when you write a joke or you write something and then the next day you look at it and you're like, what was I thinking? Or this is hilarious. Meaning you either think something's hilarious. It's like when you see something, something at 2 a.m. is hilarious or something when you're high or drunk, you're like, oh, this is the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> and then you look at it and you're like, what? Um, so don't, don't let other people tell you to stop if you believe in what you're doing. Um, as stand up and vending at Cubs games were, I, in my opinion, are some of the only two things that I've been good at in my life. Or at least that felt like I'm like I I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I, I feel like I could do this. Um, and I never 
I never had this like clarity of like, I, I'm, I'm still the, I'm a 35 year old adult who's because I didn't have like a lot of like input guidance, you know, from my family, I'm kind of just like checking over my shoulder, like, all right, meet me hamburger at 1130. Cool. All right. Like I'm constantly looking for the adult in the room <laughs> to tell me, is this, is this good? And you can't, you gotta, I would say believe in yourself necessarily. You can't fully always do that, but like logically, like if you do stand up for a year and you don't get any laughs at all, I don't know, let's do a reevaluation and see what you can change. But hopefully you have a self-awareness that like, you know, you're on the right track. I mean, you can't be fully deluded, but like, don't let other people. Um, and that's also, I would say that also the Jewish community, it's, it's one of those things that people are very much like, you know, doing the traditional doctor, lawyer, whatever profession, finance, you know, track or other different uh, stable, quote unquote, stable um, things. But, you know what? Thank God I can mostly take my kids to school every day. Uh, I can pick them up from school. Um, my my wife is uh, very much uh, is extremely helpful and great for letting me do gigs at night a lot of times, and sometimes go on the go on the road for a night or two. Um, you know, once uh, you know every so often. So, but uh, there's believe in what you what you can do, and don't let the naysayers. Again, more tangents that I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. Lay it on me, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, I, I got that um, the get a real job thing when I was when I was a professional wrestler. You know, that's not a. I understand that's not a regular choice, right? To run around in my underwear, throwing other grown men around. Um, but like, it's something that I wanted to do since I was 12 years old, and I went after it, and it was six years of the most amazing parts of my life where I have a lot of stories that are very interesting and I learned a lot about myself and how resourceful I can be and how I can make zero dollars a week and still somehow afford some food. You know what I mean? It's like, so, uh, but I went after it and people would tell me all the time, like, uh, you know, what are you going to do? They would ask my parents. My parents are like, he's, he's going to chase his dream. Like, what do you mean? What else is he going to do? I don't know. 10 years from now, things could be very different. And my life did turn out a lot differently, but in, in the best way possible. But, you know, in that moment, that's what I wanted to do. And, and I, and I encourage anyone to be able to live out their dream. Like it's the most incredible feeling of all time. Even if it doesn't quote unquote work out, whatever, whatever the fuck that means, it works out because you learn something about yourself. You get to take a new path. You meet the love of your life. You, I don't know anything, all these great things could happen instead you're not filled with like the sense of regret or resentment because you could have been this thing. Like you don't even know. Go try, whatever. Like well, other than it could the be fact awesome. that I love that as a, on a resume because like meaning even if you were like, hey, let me do the traditional office job, having wrestler on your resume is like what? Like meaning like you're gonna stand out from the pack. <laughs> and I had Wrigley Field vendor on my resume, and my like I think my wife like referred my 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 resume to someone at, at her where she was working. <laughs> She's like, I think you should take Wrigley Field Vendor off your resume. I was like, it's such a good conversation piece. <laughs> um, and it, and it, it stands yeah. out. Um, in addition to like when I was – same thing when I was in high school and, and college or whatever, and people were like, aren't you going to get like an internship to like make no money and do coffee? And I'm like, you know my job is to go to baseball games, walk up and down. I bike there, walk up and down, make a ton of money go to watch baseball at like one of the most historic landmarks in the country. And for three hours, I get to show up when I want to or not show up. 
I mean, not show up, whatever, come to work on that day or not, come home, and that's it. And you really think, and, and even if it's like, oh, yeah, but you're going to get, like, uh, you know, setting up for the future for the, the internship, of like, no way. Like, no way. That's just, yeah. Yeah. What's your um, what's your creative process like if you're if you're getting ready for a gig? Like, how do you think about that? Um, so it's funny because like again, a lot of this is like life just like piling on. Where I'm like, oh, I wish I had, I have the time somewhat to like, okay, let me prep and but like, you know, any creative I think is the uh, procrastinator in us. Where I have all this time and I'm like, still, all right, let me write this. Down. I'm a little bit like frantic where I write notes and I write the same like set lists or like same similar things. But I try to like, um, if I can find out more of um, more about like a particular, you know, hey, you're performing for this guy, and this is like this guy's birthday, like seventieth birthday. Here's some information about it. And I'll try to like write write jokes about that. But I very much like have at this point. I have like my my set, forty five minutes, hour ish, and then there's times when I'm like, if it's like a you know, hey, I'm doing a 10 minute set somewhere at like a uh, open mic night or at a, at a club, and I'm like, I want to try out stuff. Um, I will kind of write that. Um, I don't know if I have like a process process other than just when I when I come up with jokes, I when I come up with an idea, I write it in my phone. I try to. Um, I yeah. thought of an idea. I thought of a joke. My my in laws were um, living with. Um, my wife and I for like a month after, well with the when we for the baby and they were helping out and I realized I said I realized that um, this is going to take a little bit of back knowledge but basically for, Jew, for, for Jews there's uh, the idea of the Sabbath and there's something called a Sabbath Goy which people by the way I want to clarify a misnomer that people think the word Goy is derogatory it is not it just means somebody who isn't Jewish it's like the word Gentile just, just want to clarify that. I mean, people could have a bad association. Anyways, so there's an idea called a Sabbath goy that there's a lot on the Sabbath on Shabbat on Saturday for Jews. There's a bunch of rule of things that you're, that you're not supposed to do: drive, um, turn on your oven, turn on like all these things, all, like a, a whole long list. But there's a way if you forgot to do something and you want somebody who isn't Jewish to do something for you, like let's say push an elevator button, you can have them do it, but you can't tell them put this press this button you have to hint to them in an indirect way so i realized that my mother-in-law talks to my father-in-law the way that a jew asks the sabbath going to do something <laughs> there's a spill on the floor it's cold in here and instead of like you know trying to get get him like not giving him the entire message just trying to be. <laughs> can you turn the heat up? There's the guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think she was holding the baby, and she said the baby's diaper is full. Would you like me to change it? No, I'm just. I'm. I'm just. I'm just giving you. Like it's partially that, and it's partially like like a like a reporter just like presenting information, and it's just like, what did you want me to do with that? You told me for a reason. I'm trying to ascertain what is the thing. So that's that kind of stuff just like happens, you know, or, um, and that, that, so when, when that happens and that's part of also a little bit what the kind of theme we're talking about is like, not just like 
staying inspired or like keeping the daily grind. And I really, I keep saying in my, you know, when I have the chance, it's like, I really got to do like an hour of just like writing and for just like straight writing and just like free writing so that you can't kind of generate ideas and material. But, um, if you have, if you, and this is not just for comedians or writers, if you have an idea, write it down. Your memory is not good. Memory is not good. Mm -hmm. Write it down. Give yourself um, another mentalist I was speaking to gave me good advice. And he said, every time you have a phone call about a gig, write down afterwards, write in your notes, like the date, all the stuff you spoke, the price and all that thing. So that you get a call and it says, oh, this, uh, you know, this person wants to talk to me. Um, You have that. So when you, when so again, there are times that things just come across your life that just happen. Everybody has funny stories that happen to them. How do you make that into a thing? How do you make that into a thing? Finding the relatability. Mm-hmm. And some of that is the practice on stage, but some of that is also just like, what, what is the funny thing here? Or what is the, the angle? Same thing with like, you know, one of the things that we've been doing is a bunch of these, these sketches. These are called J-Sketch. Um, you may not fully appreciate them if you're not um, a Jewish and maybe even an Orthodox Jew, but Thankfully, they've, they've gone very well. I, I keep calling it it's like SNL, but funny, um, which is, uh, again, SNL had so much material with the Harvard Penn thing on the, the, the worst, uh, you know, congressional thing. There was so much material if they had a little bit, somebody, a couple, two or three remotely conservative people. And I didn't even say remotely conservative, just like not giving into the to the culture and just like how do we make this funny there's a way to make it funny Did yeah they do a skit about it it was like it was really bad like it's they bad. they basically made fun of the woman asking the questions in a in a little bit but also they kind of just they you would think making excuses for terrorism would be fine it would be would be enough what to make material about um and, and by the way, as just as a side note, I think one of the sketches we we I don't know if we're actually going to get this done, but one of the sketches I think we had an, uh, intended to do about this Israel situation. So one of them that went well was all these Jewish moms sending supplies to Israel, like everything, like every synagogue became like this, like you know, unit of like not not like like weapons, like sending like deodorant and like socks and like for all these like three hundred thousand you know uh, soldiers who were you know called up um, since October seventh. So we, you know, this is, um, it's been a very delicate time to make jokes in the last, you know, five months with, with whatever, with everything going on. And the Jewish world is still like heartbroken of what was going on and what's currently happening. But, but to find ways to craft some material in there that can make a little bit of a, a balloon releasing of the tension was really helpful. So like, there's a video like, you know, of the Jewish New Jersey moms, you know, when Israel's in crisis and it's like starting the WhatsApp group and like, there's literally sending uh, supplies, uh, Israeli food to Israel, like as a ridiculous concept, but like people really, people are like, Oh my God, this was so me. This was, and they, they pass it along and you get this, and then you get this organic, you get this organic reach. And, the, and by doing these sketches with my, my friends, Ami Kozak and Mikey Greenblatt, um, we basically started doing these things that were like, you know what? Orthodox Jews haven't really been represented well in the media ever. 
other than like Jackie Mason as like Krusty's father on The Simpsons. Like there aren't a ton of great examples of Orthodox Jewish representation. So, and that that's not why we're doing it, but like we, there's a whole audience of people that like would feel seen if they, we made these. So we started doing these. So again, um, just something that is like relatable. If you make it relatable, you make it real, you make it honest. And as, and I, I, I often find that some Jewish humor is very, very poorly done because I call it BuzzFeed Manischewitz Judaism, where they, and some people, that is their identity, but I'm sorry if your Jewish identity is just drinking some Manischewitz on Pesach and Passover, and that's it. But like, there's a lot more to Judaism than that. Um, I just mean that it's so milk toast that there's more than, there's more specifics to, so some of the sketches we've done are, Again, again, sending supplies to Israel is the awkwardness of starting a job right after Labor Day, where you have like a million high, ho- you have like two uh, the high holidays. You have like there's a holiday called Sukkot afterwards, and it's like a whole taking off all of September and 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 awkwardly it's, having that. Yeah. And people are like, I felt this. Or yeah, and then we did a holiday party one where like you know the uh, the boss is like, Hey, Merry Christmas uh, to the three Jews. I mean, Happy Hanukkah, and like trying to be like inclusive ish, but being a little bit like, all right, we got you a menorah. And it's like an electric menorah, which isn't real. And, and, but like what, what I found from this, a, like I, uh, what I was saying earlier with the vending for the person who was sick is that like, it's been able to help people cathartically that people are saying to me, I haven't laughed this hard since October 7th happened. I haven't laughed this hard in months. And, but to be able to make sure that people are seen um, in the right, in, in a, in a way, like, it's not brave. I'm sorry. It's not brave anymore to be like, you know, Trump bad. Like, it's just not like, like if you want to do a good, like Trump, like the best Trump bit is John Mulaney's horse in the hospital bit. It's an excellent bit. It makes fun of Trump. Doesn't mention his name once. It's like Seinfeld's contest episode. It's fantastic. And it's not super cliche and like, ugh. okay. Like, and maybe SNL is learning their lesson by like hiring Shane Gillis to perform uh, to be a guest on the on the show, a guy who got canceled off yeah. and getting hired years ago. So, but the point is, so SNL didn't do this didn't do this sketch, and I think there's a, a space for it. So, what I one more idea is for long story short, to get one of our ideas for a sketch was how these protesters are ruining everything. Good. They're ruining it. These, um, they're going outside cancer hospitals, Sloan Kettering. They're protesting people on the way to the airport for holidays. They're the Macy's Day Parade, the Christmas tree lighting in Rockefeller Center. So w- our idea was to do like a sketch of like, um, nobody steals this, but, uh, of, of them going to like everything fun and just like a little league game and just like protesting a little league game, going to like, uh, <laughs> a, a, a nursing home and like having like Israeli dancing or like having this birthday party, like just everything. <laughs> It's just like, what do you, which again, I, I think it's, even if you feel, and which it's not true, even if you feel Israel is gen, is committing a genocide, which they're not, you should still be able to see the humor in these protesters. And even if, so again, even if, so that's the thing also, the world has lost a sense of humor because we're, are you with this team? Are you team A or team B? And it's like, are you are you pro black people or are you pro police? And you're like, that's not what a ridiculous question. <laughs> like, are you pro Israel, right. pro Palestine? I'm like, uh, that's a ridiculous way to say it. That's a ridiculous way of phrasing it, and that's what happens. Um, and 
there's just there's there's uh whatever i'm on my long tangents here <laughs> no it's great if you uh i coach a nine-year-old baseball team so if you want to come protest that game let's do that skit right there i'm ready my <laughs> my team is ready <laughs> that's why i uh, texas right yeah, that's okay. Our that's budget, okay. our budget of uh, of of less than zero and Israeli snacks is uh, it's maybe maybe tough to. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think uh, again there there's, but I think right. That'd be I funny. Hope there's an audience there that could like appreciate the, uh, and again if if SNL and these late night shows were doing their job well instead of trying to alienate half the audience and just like make humor where you see it, make fun of Biden, make fun of Trump, make fun of them both because that's mm-hmm. how we used to be right because i mean laughing is so organic you cannot hold it back if you really think something is funny like it just it just happens yeah. like and so if we can get people just to be like just to laugh together that's so huge like two people who may disagree on uh i don't know abortion for example but we can just laugh at some of these things maybe that encourages us to have some middle ground to have some insightful conversations, but we're organically just laughing at this guy who's, you know, a woman who's making all sorts of jokes about everything, crossing mm-hmm. the line a little bit, you know, you doing all these things that comedians are brilliant at, which is why we need people like you to do these things to to make things like on that edge. Okay, we can talk about these things right here. Can I cross the line? Ooh, I can't. Okay, there we go. Bring it back, whatever. But we have to be able to test those things and then organically let people laugh and and enjoy and then maybe talk about it, maybe then have a serious conversation afterward. But if everything is serious all the time, no matter what, it's like, oh my God, this is exhausting. I like, this is hard. Like I cannot be serious all the time like this. Something has to be yeah, and, it, it, and in addition to the same thing with humor too, is that a lot of these comedy movies or, or comedy are trying to make a message first instead of going for the humor. So, you know, and, mm. and I think that's a big, big mistake. You know, I, the, one of the examples I like to use that that, that did things well, because like I know Disney's trying to go far, far left and trying to be anti, as much as anti-DeSantis as possible or whatever you want to call it. That, But like the movie Coco is one of my favorite movies. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's one of the best Pixar movies mm. and it, it's way better than Encanto. I mean, Encanto, I know, got a lot of, got a lot of popularity. Coco is way better. And if you go see, go watch this movie. It, Cause it's a movie that depicts like Mexican culture. It's about like, you know, connecting with relatives that have passed away and it's like, a very heavy movie, but it, it, and it happens to be about a minority about, a you know, it takes place in Mexico, you know, in Mexico, I, I think it's Mexico. And it is very much like, you know, about a good story and it doesn't matter. And it's not that they're just like a prop. It's not like, hey, we're going to insert minority because to make it a prop. So the same thing, like, if you have good humor, you don't have to make it about politics. And, the po- you know, things will just, you know, w- will unite as uh, humanity more so. Like, you know, one of our, the more pop, one of the best sketches, one of the sketches I was telling you about before that we did a sketch last week that, that was released that people really liked about the stresses of a Friday, of getting ready for Shabbat and the Sabbath on Friday afternoon. Especially, you know, Sabbath starts at sunset, you know, every Friday. And so there's, and there's all, like I said, there's all these lists of rules, things you can't do once it starts. So it's every, every, you know, Orthodox household and, and uh, is, is in, in panic mode, you know, because we're also procrastinators <laughs> and it's just like, here's all this stuff to do and I got to get it done. So that we released this two minute sketch of me and these other, you know, Mikey Greenblatt and Ami Kozak of like, 
of all there is to do. And the amount of love that people are saying, like this, how did you get a camera in my house? This is the most accurate thing I've ever seen. And like, I don't know, I don't know what these people's political viewpoints are. I mean, they're, they're, I know they're Jewish and they have a Jewish upbringing and that's all I know. So, and, and it's also nice to not get free Palestine on a video, but I'm sure we'll get some, uh, some comments, but, um, but just, again, you just share the human experience. These are families in, you know, imagine preparing for Thanksgiving, you know, that's, that's all you need to know for this thing. The stress of preparing for Thanksgiving, that's every Orthodox Jew on a Friday, um, essentially. So, Mm -hmm. and then, but like, just like you said, people are just saying, Hey, this is great. This is, this is so good to laugh. And they're, they're just laughing at ourselves as, as, as humans and not, not any political, re- not, nothing about politics and nothing about that. And everybody's just losing, losing that skill. They're just, cause everything is shaped in like, what group are you a part of? And you're like, I, I, I don't know. Like, uh, I'm the, like, I, I'm an Orthodox Jew, but I'm more than that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Very interesting. Very important. So, um, sure. thank you. Thank you for uh, your time today. And, where should uh, where should people go if they want to find more of you or they want to sure. check out the sketches? Um, so my Instagram is Ellie Comedy Agram E L I Comedy Agram terrible name I know uh, J Sketch uh, J at J Sketch J S K E T E T C H my standup is also on my Instagram page elliecomedy.com, E L I Comedy dot com um, and at Ellie Leibowitz, spell on Twitter at E L I L E B O W I C Z, spelled horribly, playing Ellis Island. Um, I say that when my grandparents got to Ellis Island, they're like, You sure you want to spell Leibowitz like this? And my grandfather's like, Yeah, worst case scenario, my grandson doesn't get a bunch of emails that he's supposed to. Um, so, by the way, just I, I was going to ask about your the origin of your name. Your name would be a great mm-hmm. comedian name. Because I assume the origins in Europe somewhere are mach bits, and it's like mach means make, so it's make bits. So you're making making jokes. I don't know, but I don't know what I don't, ah. you know. I don't know. I don't know what the, what, what's the origin. Where's your family uh, from? Um, it's uh my dad and his parents were all born in what? Egypt. You're smarty. Yeah, so um, that's where our name is from. Um, one of my, oh, one of my oh, cousins, my dad's cousins wrote like, yeah, wrote like a full origin story of our family. Uh, I'll send it to you. I'm sure you want to read 700 pages Listen, about the family mash. I'm up with a, a three week old, but <laughs> so mash. Yeah. So, so that's like cool. Mash it's it's probably, Egyptian. Right? So I'm, yeah. His name. Yeah. It's pronounced mash. So yeah, that's very similar. Now America, but like back in the, yeah, yeah. Wow, Egypt. Okay. Well, I'll have you in mind at the uh, Passover, my, my, my Passover Seder. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, but lovely to meet you, man. Thanks, Thanks for joining me. And uh, Thanks Thanks for having me. This soon, was I'm a sure. real treat. But yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Later, everyone. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Ellie. What idea stood out to you the most? What idea resonated with you most deeply that you could implement into your life today? 
And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, or even on Good Pods. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is by becoming a supporter via Patreon. Patreon directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit called You Are Loved. So click the link in the show notes, scroll through all of the tiers, and see which one might work best for you. And I appreciate your support in advance. But most importantly, most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.